This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Talk line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Our guest is a prolific writer. He's an inspirational leader. Uh, he is the Rav of Congregation to Kehilas Teferis Mordechai in the Five Towns. And I met him over the pace of holiday, we, and I enjoyed some of his works. And he's written a new book called The Mystery and the Majesty for Elul, Yom, and the Rum, and Sukkot. Rabbi Daniel J. Glossy, thank you for joining us. Good vach. Hi, good vach. Shabbat How are you, Rabbi Zab? Good, thank you. I, I enjoyed your book. It has some very interesting ideas. Uh, in fact, uh, let's look at the shofar, because I love how you blend the shofar and Mashiach and Messianism and, and you know, tying it into the Akedah, to the near sacrifice of Yitzhak. And according to what you brought down, and we'll talk about it too, is that according to some, those in the Zohar, that actually Yitzhak actually died. And we'll look at yeah. that. I, yeah, I, I, you really go into a whole in-depth about it. I found that uh, very interesting as well. Yeah, that's actually a very surprising idea. So when you're in school, they sort of water down the story for the general audience, and they make it a little bit uh, more acceptable to kids. But actually, it was quite uh, quite a uh, difficult <laughs> um, encounter for Yitzchak to the extent where there are many sources, Perkadir Abelezer and, and Shibayi Lehaleka, that Yitzchak actually died at the Akedah. He made the blessing of Mechai HaMesim, that Hashem resurrects the dead. And it's interesting, you know, we make such a big deal about the Akedah and Rosh Hashanah. If you ask most people, why do we talk about the Akedah and Rosh Hashanah? Well, you know, it happened on Rosh Hashanah. And not necessarily. According to many sources, it happened on Yom Kippur. Other sources, it happened in Nisan. So why we focused on it on Rosh Hashanah? Because actually, what is happening to us on Rosh Hashanah is nothing less than the resurrection of the dead. We're, our lease is over come Rosh Hashanah. And we're asking God to resurrect us. And the source of that power is actually the uh, Akedah. And that's why the Akedah is so central to Rosh Hashanah. No, it's certainly, but let's go a little bit more because the Zohar and you look about the ashes is also about the ashes of Yitzchak, right? It's not just that he was killed. Yeah, uh, the, the ashes uh, continued to lay there forever. And actually, the concept that all sacrifices work are only because Akedas Yitzchak set sacrifice into motion. Had it not been, so how does a sacrifice work? Well, we say to God, this animal. If if we had the choice, we would offer ourselves. So God says, really? Who said you would do that? And the answer is, look at the Akedah. So the Akedah really empowers all sacrifice for all time. And it's the it's what inaugurated that the Temple Mount and the Beis HaMikdash as a place of uh, where we worship Hashem. And you also put down the, our connection to the Temple Mount and, and in dealing in the end of days, and uh, that's my favorite piece. Yeah, Shofar represents one of the, the listen the two horns that are taken from the uh, animal that uh, that when Abraham, you know, if if you don't go the fact that Yitzhak was killed, that he that he actually killed and and slaughtered, they made a carbon of the animal there. There are two horns from the animal that were stuck in the bushes there. One represents the Akedah, and one represents the great Shofar that will be blown in the Messianic Age, the resurrection yes. of the dead. Yes. So uh, let's look at who's compared to Hamar. Let's look at, you know, Esau, Yishmal, the end of days. Yeah, that's very uh, 
powerful idea how, you know, if you look in the, uh, in the uh, Quran, they, ha- they switch the story where the main character they have as Yishmael. And uh, it's interesting because the Christians don't tamper with that story, but uh, Yishmael does. And that's because the, the whole function of the Akedah was to demonstrate the superiority of Yitzchak to Yishmael and our rights to the Temple Mount over Yishmael. Because the Rishonim teach us that even though Yishmael had been long gone, he had been banished for over 30 years, the night before the Akedah, he returned back to the house of Abraham. And God intended specifically to bring Yishmael back to the house. So then, the, so that when God tells Abraham, take your son, Abraham says, well, uh, I have, now I have two. I had the other one just walked in the door. And God said, no, the one that you love. He said, well, I love both of these kids. And Hashem said, Yitzchak, what Hashem was saying, this will signify forever superiority of Yitzchak to Yishmael. Because Hashem telling Abraham, I don't want you to reject Yishmael because your wife told you to. Because a lot of a lot of us, we do things because our wife tells us to. It doesn't mean we want to do it. No, but I Hashem mean, said Abraham listened to Sarah. He told He told. Yeah, him. right. He didn't listen to Sarah, but... In his heart, Hashem didn't want Abraham to think, really, I love Yishmael, but what could I do? God told me to listen to Sarah. God wants Abraham to come to that decision on his own. So he has both of these kids there, and he's bringing both of them to the Temple Mount, and they're both going to stand there. And Hashem tells, uh, Abraham turns to Yishmael. He says, you see the divine presence of the Temple Mount? And Yishmael saw nothing. And, uh, and Abraham turns to Yitzchak, and Yitzchak saw it, which means Abraham was now seeing firsthand that Yishmael has no claim to the Temple Mount, and it belongs to Yitzchak. And that's why the terminology used at the Akedah is now you will inherit the gate of Oyevav. Oyev, there are two kinds of enemies. There's a Sainé. Esav is called the Sainé. He's called Halacha Biyadua Esav Sainé Liyakov. And then there's an Oyev. Oyev is Yishmael. The purpose of the Akedah was to demonstrate the superiority and to ascend over Yishmael. Yishmael was there, but he had no connection to it. He didn't see the Shechina, he couldn't ascend, and he was forever rejected and established to have the, the connection of a Hamar to the Temple Mount. Now, you, you relate Hamar equa- is equivalent to Yishmael, and the Shor is equivalent to Esav. Yes. Right, and and you say that, uh, and and that's who our protagonists are at the end of the days. Before I get to that, you mentioned the fact that there's a prohibition of of two animals that the Torah says cannot be worked together. That's the the shor, the ox, and the donkey. And uh, I, I find it fascinating. Your thought is not the reason why is that we shouldn't. When when you have Yishmol and you have Esau, you have the Islamic and the Christian world that oppose Judaism when they're worked together. That works to the detriment of us. That's why you can't have them both together working. It's a metaphor, is what you right. I've never saw it before. It's an original. Is that an original thought? No, um, that that comes from the writing of Rebellion Hakoin of Izmir, but it's it's a powerful thought. We are we have this idea that if Esav and Yishmael ever got together, they would destroy the world. And I'll tell you um, a very personal thought and uh, uh, something that my grandfather wrote that as as a an experience he had seeing, you know what happens when Esav and Yishmael got together? When he was in Auschwitz, he saw Eichmann, Esav, and Eichmann invited a special guest, guest to Auschwitz, the Mufti from Jerusalem. And they were embracing arm in arm and the Jews would pass in front of them and they would beat the Jew 
specifically in a way that a Jew would never be able to have children. And my grandfather said, that's the image of Esau and Yishmael coming together. Auschwitz, that's Esau and Yishmael coming together. So your grandfather actually saw Eichmann and the Mufti of Jerusalem together. Yeah, embracing each other, watching Jews suffer in Auschwitz. I never knew that the Mufti was in Auschwitz. That's the yes. first I'm hearing. Wow, that doesn't get much attention. No. <laughs> no. So, but you also write that that there are two messiahs that will rescue the Jewish people. And the Mashiach ben Yosef, the son of Joseph, and Mashiach ben David, the son of David, King David, now, one of them, now you say King David is also compared to a chamor, to a donkey, yes, and yes. compared to a shor. So let's look at that and how that relates also to the concept of Rosh Hashanah, the belong of the chauffeur, the great chauffeur that will herald in the Messianic age. Let's look at that. Yeah, so uh, you're, these are, these are um, subjects that really uh, resonate in the soul. But uh, the same way we have two great enemies, the ox and the donkey, we have two messiahs. Meshach ben David is compared to the donkey. He's called the poor man who rides on the donkey. And Meshach ben Yosef, Yosef is compared to the firstborn ox. Yosef always destroys Esav. Yosef is the enemy of Esav. Um, Yosef, it's interesting. Esav was destined to marry Rachel. Because when Esav, um, when, when Yaakov married Leah, so now Rachel is going to fall to Esav. And ultimately, Hashem never let that happen. Not only that, Hashem rewarded Rachel that she would have Yosef who would destroy Esau. Isn't there an expression, Yosef is is like a fire burning? Exactly. Uh, Yaakov is the fire and Esau is the flame, right? Right, that's what I was looking for. So there is a connection with that. So so therefore, you'll have Mashiach ben Yosef will battle battle Esau. And then Meshach ben David, which, which is a, a very frightening thought, which means we know that Meshach ben David comes after Meshach ben Yosef, which means first the first to fall will be Esau, the Western world. And only then, in the end, end of days, only then the, the Arab world will be overcome by Meshach ben David. And thinking about the meaning of that, I think uh, most people don't don't think of it that way. Most people think that, you know, America will be standing last and then Mashiach will come. But this teaching of the Vilna Gain has it the other way around, where Mashiach ben David will take us out of Golis Yishmael. Oh, interesting. So it's the other way around. So there's a difference of opinion of what Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David will do according to what you write in your book. Mashiach and Yosef will deal with Esav, and Mashiach uh, ben David will deal with Yishmael. Yes. The Vilna Gaon says just the opposite. No, no, I'm saying, according to the, this is the tradition of the Vilna Gaon, but most people w- would have thought uh-huh. that Yishmael is not the last uh, enemy standing. You know, most people would have thought it's the Western world. Right, right. But 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 it's more than the forces. It's not everybody in the Western world. The forces that are inimical to Judaism which is represented by the Western world, represented by Rome. But that yes. is strange because today you see a change where the biggest threat does not come from the Western world, does not come from those Christians that in the past persecuted the Jews. Today the biggest threat comes from the Islamic world where you have those radicals, those Islamist fascists that want to kill the Jews, but they also want to kill Christians. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, unfortunately, more Jews are disappearing in uh the Western world through, you know, silent assimilation than anywhere else. So 
in a certain way, the assimilation is the greatest threat to our people. So look, we have two enemies. They're both vying to be considered top guns against us, and they're both doing a pretty good job. So, well, but the assimilation really is, is I, I hate to say it, we have to do a lot more to educate our children because most Jewish kids don't get a Jewish education. It's easy to blame other people. I think Rosh Hashanah is a good time for us to realize and say we can make a change. And I think the biggest challenge we have is to educate our kids. So we, we have an obligation. It's not just a parental obligation. Isn't it a communal op- obligation to educate our children? And we have Absolutely. to do better job. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one more story. Um, my grandfather would say over that's also mind-boggling. When he was in the camps, he would constantly be saying to Hillam, and the Nazi beat him. Would be him and say, Rabbi, what are you praying for? The Jews have no future. We, we Germans, will destroy the Jews of Europe. The Arabs, they'll destroy the Jews in Palestine. And the Jews in America, ha, they'll take care of themselves. And unfortunately, some Jews survived Europe. Uh, many Jews were able to thrive in, ultimately in Israel. And uh, he was most correct about the Jews of America because more Jews have disappeared in America in the last 70 years than between 1939 and 1945, unfortunately. But I, I, from what I read, the power of assimilation, acculturation into marriage is not just in America. You look at the whole world. Yeah, yeah, yes. And you find that. And, uh, and that's our biggest challenge, I believe, is that we have to teach the beauty of Yiddishkeit. Where Moshe Feinstein, as Echotzalik, the Bracha of Blessed Memory, said the biggest killer of Judaism in America was came from religious families where the father said, you know, I'm doing the mitzvahs, I'm keeping Shabbat. It's such a burden. It's hard to be a Jew. He said, kill Judaism in America. Because if you're going to go ahead and say that way, you're gonna, and the kid's going to say, listen, my father went through all the rituals, he went through all the mitzvahs, he did what he had to do, but he did it with a crack, so it's hard to be a Jew. They chucked it all. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, that Rosh Hashanah is a time of introspection. I think we all have to do better educating both our religious kids and also reaching out to non-religious kids. I think that's our biggest challenge. It's easy, like I said, to blame others, uh, but I think that we have to do, do, do a lot more a lot more to educate our kids. Yeah, look, the word Elul is, a, is alluded to in the Pasuk, es levavcha v'yes levav zarecha. So it's it's about uh, levav zarecha also. That uh, has to be our focus during this time of the year. Absolutely. In the few moments we have remaining, what are some other Rosh Hashanah thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? So uh, you mentioned the Zayhar. This is an amazing Zayhar, which I think is very inspiring. That uh, what... When would one think the first time anyone ever blew the shofar? The first blowing of the shofar in history. We mentioned uh, the resurrection and and at Kabbalah's Hatayra at the Akedah. The Zohar says God blew the neshama into Adam like a bal taikeah, like someone who blows the shofar. That was the original blowing of the shofar. So the blowing of the shofar symbolizes God instilling the soul into man, which is really uh, an opportunity to 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 recognize that on Rosh Hashanah, God is recreating us. It's a chance for a new start. It's a chance for rededication. It's uh, Sometimes people feel hopeless, helpless, stuck in a rut, but it's we're being recreated on Rosh Hashanah. It's really a new beginning for all of us. And that was the first blowing of the shofar in history. 
And as we build the Shafan and Rosh Hashanah, realize God is giving us a renewed soul and a renewed opportunity. And I find that to be a very powerful thought. I liked one thought that you had in your book about the halacha, the Jewish law is, and there are two Jewish laws regarding the shofar. Number one, you can't change the shape of the shofar. And number yeah. two is, is that, you know, the shofar has a small opening and a big opening. But the halacha is that if you blow the shofar from the big opening, even though you blow it correctly, you don't fulfill the obligation of hearing the shofar. Why is is that the case? Right. So it just struck me that, uh, you know, we say min karasika from the narrow strait, we call out to you, Anani, God answer us, bamercha, from the wide part. So we build a shofar from a place of confinement and Hashem and His expansiveness answers us. But I think the, there's a very strong symbolism that if we do a small, uh, whatever small act we do to improve ourselves, whatever small steps we take is looms very large in the eyes of Hashem. Hashem is not expecting radical changeover, but even a small, small act that we do down here in this world in the eyes of Hashem looms very large. In fact, uh, you know, so many Jews, uh, despite the danger, they're going to Uman, you know, you ever see the, you ever see the, these Reb Nachman uh, bumper stickers? Na, na, Nachman, Nachman. There's actually a very interesting system of numerical value, gematria, where you take the first letter and then the first two letters and then the first three letters and the first four letters. And the, so we know that teshuva, repentance is great. It reaches kisei hakavod, the throne of glory. So actually, if you take the words kisei hakavod, throne of glory, you take the kaf, and then you add the kaf samach, and then you add the kaf samach aleph, kisei, and then kaf samach aleph hey, kaf samach aleph hey chaf, kaf samach, and you do it, you spell it out in that manner. The numerical value of that is teshuva, teshuva, repentance, indicating that the way to get to the throne of glory is small step, a small, um, small steps one at a time. All the little efforts we do to come closer to Hashem. Every thought of tshuva that we have is very valuable in the eyes of Hashem, looms large in His eyes, and ultimately will be a great source of uh, bracha to us on the Day of Judgment. And, but I, and, I, and I, I enjoyed that whole thought, but the thought was is that you have a little opening, but there's an expression that if when it comes to the tshuva repentance, that if you open up just a little bit like the eye of a needle, then God will do an opening as big of caravans. So it'll be a tremendous right. opening. So the, you purposely, the metaphor is with the chauffeur, you write this, which are very powerful in your book, that if you use the small opening, that's what you need to do, chuva. The chauffeur represents chuva. So it's not the big things, it's the small things, like you started to say before, but just making a small effort, then the rest just puts in place. And therefore, you don't want to go for the big way. You purposely want to go to the small, narrow opening where you blow the chauffeur as opposed to the big one. Uh, to me, yeah. that was a great, great thought. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anyway, I want to thank you for joining us. I recommend the book. It's called The Mystery and the Majesty, Elul Yamanaram Sukkot, The Grandeur and Nobility of the Days of Awe and Joy. It's by our guest, Rabbi Daniel J. Glotstein. Uh, who's written uh, this, I think, is your third book, right? Correct? This is uh, number four. Yeah, number, number four. four. We'll do one uh, Hanukkah time if you have. <laughs> yeah, God willing. I, exactly. I, I enjoyed some of your mystical concepts. I thought it was very interesting. So we appreciate uh, your being here with us and look forward to that you'll join us again.
Thank you very much, Zev, and uh, wishing you Shana Tova, Mubareches, Ksiva to you and your family. Thank you. And thank you so much, Rabbi Daniel J. Galatzin, here on the talk line. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.